Yo, what's up, y'all? It's your favorite campus uncle, it's Uncle Fred. Definitely in the building. And uh, my sister is still sick. God damn. <laughs> still sick, y'all. Laryngitis is killing her, but we are praying for her recovery. We are praying for her strength. And I got a whole bottle of Lysol that is not leaving my side because I can't afford to be sick, y'all. I cannot do it. It is for the love of y'all. And today we do have some special guests in the building and we will continue with our conversation about mental health, i.e. black mental health. And I have a panel here of black men who will be discussing black mental health and its importance within the black community. So I will allow for them to introduce themselves because they are black men. They can do that shit. I'm not doing it. So with that being said, I will go to my immediate right. All right. So what's up, y'all? My name is Nas. Like you said, black man. And I'm also a future high school counselor. I'm in the Kenesha's College graduate program of school counseling. And yeah, that's me. And he will be providing us with not only just a clinical, but a professional point of view in terms of the importance of black mental health and how it affects not just black men, but just the black community as well. Absolutely. Okay. What's going on, everybody? Shemang Man Chi. I am the blood brother to your favorite campus uncle. That's goddamn right. <laughs> Punch you in the fucking mouth for him. No, I'm playing. <laughs> no, he really would. He really would. <laughs> I, I need to stop sounding so gangster. I'm giving people the wrong impression of me. I'm not. I'm not. I'm a. I ain't a pussy. No, I'm not. But okay, go ahead, continue. Okay. What's going on, everybody? My name is Malik, and I'm a recent graduate from Buffalo State College. Okay, no problem, y'all. So listen, we are going to get. Um, <clears throat> shall we say? Can we? Can we get pretty? Deep into this conversation about black mental health. Um, deep as it goes. You know, uh, my friend to my left of me, Malik, always talks and points this out about us having these conversations and putting things on the table because us as a black community failed to do so and thought that it would be important for the love of thought that it was very important that we talk about mental health and, can, and to continue this conversation. Uh, we did have an episode where we had our very own Fatu, right, who was on the show, and uh, she spoke about mental health from a student's perspective, right? And um, I think we want to deepen that conversation, you know, but we want to extend it out to just black community in, a, in general, black and brown, right? Okay. So I guess I want to open up with this. What is mental health? So for me, and just being in the position to just study all about mental health and just the works of it. Um, mental health is just the way that you're keeping up with yourself in a sense where it's just strictly mentally. So when it comes to your routines and then when it comes to you doing what you have to do on a daily basis, how are you managing all the energies that you're getting throughout the whole entire day? Because there's going to be in the morning, there's going to be times where you're just going to be tired. But then it's like, but why are you tired? Are you drained from yesterday? What were you doing yesterday? And it's like, what are you about to do? What time do you got to get up to go to work and stuff like that? So you got to like mentally prepare yourself to get prepared for your day. And if you're not mentally preparing yourself for the time that you're spending throughout your whole day and what you're about to do, then 
your mentality of what your day is going to look like is going to be off. So mental health is more so on the fact of like, how are you managing the energy that you're projecting and the energy that's being projected to you on a daily basis? Okay. All right. Anybody want to add to that in terms of what, what you feel or believe mental health is? I personally feel like mental health is how you're controlling, how you deal with things on a daily basis. There's nothing that you do every single day that doesn't start with your mental. Mm-hmm. Everything that goes on in your day is managed by your mental. So your mental health comes down to how you're taking care of yourself to be able to manage those things, to manage the things that you have planned out, because that also starts with your mental, and then the unplanned things that happen to you during the day. Mm-hmm. Yes, those unplanned things. You know, for a long time, when I thought about mental health, I thought about people being sick. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Not necessarily, I mean, just like sick in terms of like choices. So like like you said, the first thing in the day starts with your mental, right? Yes, sir. Like how you plan your day, mm. how you look, you know, what you eat, what you smell like. Do I shower? Do I not shower? Do I brush yes. my teeth, right? Mm. Um, you know, do I show up to work on time? Because that's a choice too, right? You know right. what I'm saying? Literally. Um, you know, do I make that? Do I make that meeting? Do I cancel this meeting with a student? I have a meeting with Fatu. Am I going to cancel that? I never will because I love Fatu, right? You know, just stuff like that. These are things. So it, it sounds to me like mental health has a lot to do with routine. Yeah, I think I think it's definitely routine only because of the fact that you know when you're when you're going when you have your week because I know one thing for me like I plan out my whole entire week and that's just the type of thinker that I am because I know my mental state and I know how I operate. And I think that's really important when it comes to when you're, when you're going about your priorities and your responsibilities and things like that, you got to know what works best for you, for you to operate properly. So I know for me that I have my planner, I have everything color coded and everything like that to the point where that's how I mentally process things throughout my whole entire week. So when I, I put to the time where I got to be to work, I play even times where like I say, okay, my my rent is due on this day, or like I have my car insurance, or my car note is due this day, or I have this, I have the photo love of meeting at this time and stuff like that. And I have it all in my Google Calendar because that's the way that I process. And if I don't have that, I feel like that's gonna ruin my mental state because I'm not prepared. And one thing about me, I like feeling prepared. So when it comes to when it comes to my mental state, like I know what what works for me. You know, and and it comes to a point where you know if you're if you're not organized with your mind, you're gonna be so off put to the point where well that's my personal opinion. You're gonna be so off put to the point where you don't even know where to start. Mm. You're not gonna know where to start, and then it's gonna mess up your whole mental state. So now you're feeling depressed now because you're not even on the the boat that you want to be on, and then now that's already setting setting yourself up to the point where you're just gonna go downhill. Mm. So it comes to a point where you need you need to know that routine that works best best for you, and you need to know what in in general is gonna get you to where you need to go. Because a lot of people, they they have so much high expectations, but they're not taking care of themselves. Taking care of yourself to a point where you get enough sleep, eating right, all those things that play into a point that affects your body. And your body is going to tell you when something is off, just as how like, your mind is going to tell you when something is off. So it just comes to a point where if you're being able to learn and know what works best for you and taking care of yourself, that's what leads to you being successful when it comes to sustaining your mental health because it's it's obviously really important and then for for a lot of 
black people, I just feel like that we have this like subconscious thinking that like we got to do this, we got to do that because we seen our parents, they grinding and grinding and grinding. But it's like, you know, at some point you need to take some downtime and reflect what you're doing because you could do a whole lot of stuff and not do shit and get nothing done. You could sit here, you could like you could be sitting in your house and you could just be okay. I'm gonna do I'm gonna do this homework stuff like that. But you're like, oh, I gotta clean clean my room. So if you cleaning your stuff like that, I'm like, oh, I gotta do this. But like, what about the homework that you were supposed to do? Like that would that, but that's what you supposed to have planned. So it just comes to a point where it's like you know what's you know what works what's best for you. You know what you need to do as 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 a, your own individual, not as a person, because all of us are completely different. There's some there's some tactics that you might do that may be different from me, but we still get the work done at the same time. So it just comes to a point where you're just looking at yourself and understanding, okay, what works best. For me, like, how am I going to go about my day? And it comes to a point where you just mentioned about canceling meetings. Like, I literally planned out my week and I totally forgot that I had not the fact that I forgot. But it was just a point where, like, it, I do so much things that sometimes like, I really forget. Like, oh, I got this paper due. And I had a whole 10 page paper due on Tuesday. And I literally planned out my 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 weeks on Sunday. Cause when I come back from work, I'm like, okay, you know, I'm about to plan out my week and everything and stuff. Notice I was like, damn, I gotta do this paper. But then I have my internship at 745 to 245 on Tuesday, and the paper's due at four. So how I'ma get all this done meanwhile, I have my Monday obligation and stuff like that. So I had to really think, and I was really sitting with my friend. I'm like, I'm like, dang, like this paper due tomorrow. Mm. Like, what am I gonna do? So what I had to do, I had to be like, you know what, I'm gonna stop right now. I'm gonna email my 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 supervisor and say, listen, like I might be able to make it because I have I have stuff to do, and that's what I had to do. I had to remove that in order for me to get what I need to get done, and it, it sucks. But at the same time, that's what I have to do. You need to re you may need to may need to rearrange some things. Like Malik said, those things that 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 happen like in that moment where you don't even know you don't even know what to do next but at that point you need to be in that moment and understand okay this is what I need to go need to do to get that done and some people they might just give up and be like you know what fuck that paper and I'ma just fail anyway what makes someone say fuck the paper and just give up because they're not planning properly in that moment they feel so Ashamed of themselves, where they didn't, they can't, they can't, they don't have that resilience to bounce back and be like, you know what, like, I'm gonna get it done. I'm gonna find a way to get it done, but I'm gonna get it done. It's gonna be hard. It's gonna be difficult, but I'm gonna get it done. And that's the way I think. Mm-hmm. It don't, it don't matter what I gotta do. I'm gonna, I'm gonna remove whatever anything that I know that I need to, I need to, that I need to do to get what I need to get done. And people come, people come in that space where they, they were in that space where it's like, okay, like, well, I got no time to do it because I got to go to work tomorrow or I got, I got to do this. And it's, and it comes to a point where you need to just learn how to prioritize when it, when it comes to a point where you're making those changes. And when that mistake happened, when it comes to a point where you procrastinate to the point where the paper do tomorrow, you know, so I just really feel as though it's more about how you plan yourself daily or weekly or monthly or whatever because I feel like that's just what's more important and it, it prevents you from setting yourself up from failure. Mm. Can I answer that question? Yeah. What makes somebody say fuck that paper? For me, part of your mental health is your willpower. 
there's a strength that you just have to have on a daily basis to get through the things that come your way. Now, how do you get it? That strength, you got it. I learned a lot from my parents. So for me, it's just seeing a lot of things that they did and why can't I do that? Mm-hmm. They raised me. I'm literally a byproduct of them and everything they've raised me on over the last 22 years. Mm-hmm. If they can overcome those things, why can't I? Right. What's the real reason that I can't get this done? Why can I not get over these obstacles that are in my way? Mm-hmm. So for me, I'm not a fuck that paper kind of guy. I'm a down to the last minute type of guy. I'm going to ask for that extension. I'm going to call out of work. I'm going to do what I got to do because at the end of the day, it's going to be tough. But if you quit, you're going to end up exactly in the same spot you started at. Right. So what am I stopping for? Because if I'm already stressed, am I not going to be overwhelmed and even more upset when I'm back in the position I started with? And you know what I think about? I think about all the work that I put in. I think about where that I started, all the stuff that I had went through in order for me to get to this point. Why give up now? Can't quit. It kind of it kind of goes, and I'm sorry to cut you off, mm-hmm. it kind of goes back to the quote that you said in the last episode. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. The quote, yeah, the quote that says, uh, when you feel like quitting, think about why you started. Right. And then when you when you literally pointed at that and I took a picture of it, I'll put it right on my on my lock screen. Why? Because that's a reminder for me when I when I even attempt to think that I'm gonna give up. Right. Because I'm not setting myself up for failure. And then going back to what the fit the family aspect, because in my family, I'm the only one with a college degree. Only one. And I was just speaking to my to my supervisor the other day and I was like, honestly, like I can't I can't fail. And there's some points where it's like, you know, it's going to be times where, you know, you're just going to have to pick up a couple of L's. But in all actuality, I'm still going to get where I need to be because at the end of the day, you know, I have I have shoes to fill. I have nieces and nephews that, like, they look up to me. And I have family members that still look up to me. They say, yo, Nas, you're really doing your thing. I'm proud of you. Like, my mom, when she meets people and stuff like that, even when she's on the phone, she's like, oh, I'm, a, I'm on the phone with my son. He's in college getting his master's degree, you know, two degrees and everything and stuff. And it's like, and so I'm like, dang, my like, you really talk about me? I'm like, no, like, being proud of the fact that, that you raised a son to the point where he's portray, portraying excellence and stuff like that and not allowing you know, just mental situations or like, or just in general, the situations to bring me down or even societal things are bringing me down and even societal things in college too, because there's a lot of stuff that a lot of college students in Buffalo, I'm not, not in Buffalo, but like, I know what I experienced at Buffalo state when I graduated, there's a lot of college students that really don't use the counseling center on campus. Mm. Because they, one, they don't want to feel vulnerable. And then two, they don't want to explain how they feel to someone that they don't even know. You know, it's, it's funny that you brought up the, the counseling center, right? Because there's been a lot of conflicting reports that I've learned from both students and professionals that I've gone there. And some say they like it. Some say they hate it, mm-hmm. you know. Some say I had a great experience. <clears throat> Others say, nah, not so much, you know. So do, so do you think that it's because people aren't willing to be vulnerable with other strangers? 
Yes. But that makes it uncomfortable or a bad experience? Yes. I feel like that it's two things. I feel like they feel uncomfortable, and I also feel like that they expect a different outcome than what they get. Okay. I feel like that people come to counseling, and they think that their problem's supposed to be fixed like that. And it don't get fixed like that at all because it that's that's very unrealistic. You know, when you go through situations, it's like it's like, for example, and this may be a little bit deep, it's like losing it's like losing a family member. You're not gonna get over it like, like that. Absolutely. There's gonna it, it's a process. And right. every in each and everything that we do, it's a process. Right. It's and a process might, that we go through. So right. at the end at the end of the day, you know, like we have to understand that like, you know, when it comes to counseling, we have to understand that, that these people are in this profession because they want to help you. They don't care about the clout that they get. They don't care how much clients that they get. everybody wants to help you? I, I personally think because I'm in I'm in my school counseling program, and I and I honestly feel like that the people in my program and the professors who are teaching me the material that I'm receiving, they want they want to help they want to help because they they've been in that space before also. Mm-hmm. There's okay. Some people just trying to catch a check. That's not everybody. It's not everybody. You're yeah, right. Yeah, because it's, it's not I've everybody. heard that too. I heard that like a lot of these counselors, not saying the ones here on campus, but I've heard that counselors like there's just a bad reputation with counselors mm-hmm. and them not really putting in the effort and the work and trying to help people with their issues. Mm-hmm. Right? You know? So it's not so much as like on campus, I, I've even heard on campus from students that counseling center, right? Mm-hmm. That they have counselors that don't work, right? They have some counselors there that are just there and they just wait for the time to end. So for my experience at Buffalo State for the counseling center, I feel like that was the gateway to my mental freedom mm-hmm. because I was crawling into a very, very, very dark place that I have never been in before. And that dark place was anxiety and still is anxiety. It's funny that you gave it a name because I remember I went through counseling one time and I used to say this dark place. And, and the they'll ask you, what is that dark place? The therapist says, give it a name. Mm-hmm. Like what name this dark place? My dark place right. was suicide. Right. Mine was suicide. Yours was anxiety. Right. So- like literally I was going to a spot where I was I was really contemplating because like one thing about me like I always make sure that like if something don't feel right in my body I, I, I really constantly worry and you know just contemplate on like what is going on and stuff like that me I don't like the doctor at all like I don't like when I was younger I used to go to the doctor and when I had a strep throat they used to do the, the yeah. stick down your throat I was not having that. <laughs> I was not having that. Like if you could ask my mother, she no, when I had a when I had a sore throat, I used to eat ice all the time. Just because I won't have to go to the doctor. Wow. Like that's how paranoid I was going to the doctor. And then it's to the point right now where I go to the doctor and you know, when they do a regular physical and then when you go to the doctor regularly, like they asked me, they was like Oh, I don't know why your pressure is so high. You know, we're just gonna do one again. They do it again, and my pressure is so high. They was like, "Are you nervous?" I'm like, "Yes, 
Like I don't like coming yeah, here. I hate. I don't like coming here. To the blood, every time I go to the doctor, they take my blood pressure. They be like, "Hold on, let's take it like five minutes later." And I be like, "It ain't it's gonna not, change. It's not gonna change. <laughs> it's not it's changing. Not change I don't want to all. be here, but I like, have to be not, here. I'm nervous. It's not like I'm nervous. I don't want to hear nothing that you about to tell me because it's it's a reason why I'm here. Right. So at the end of the day, like I know you're gonna tell me something that I'm probably not gonna want to hear. So with that being said, I'm already on a thousand because. Because I just don't want to be here. I don't like feeling sick. I don't like none of that. You know, so it was this one time where I was back at home for winter break. And I went to the um, the check house place for my mom. And I just felt like a short of breath. And I was like, whoa, what's going on? I'm like, you know what? I mean, I worry, you know. So I went home. My mom made some food. And I was, and my mom made a plate for me. And I was eating. But, like, I wasn't finishing the food. Mm-hmm. Like, I had the, I had the anticipation to finish the plate. But I took two bites and I'm like, why am I not hungry no more? Like, and it just happened out of nowhere. So I started to get a little nervous because I'm like, okay, like what's going on? Because this is not like me because I like to eat. So I, my my heart just started racing. Yeah, I should have saw his face when he said that. No, I like to because I like to eat. You know, Thanksgiving coming up, it's late. Yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah. So when so when that happened, my heart just started racing out of nowhere, and it was the it was on New Year's Eve. New Year's Eve this happened because me and my mom was just about to go to our church and watch night service for New Year's. And literally, like, my heart just started racing. I'm like, yo, I don't know what's going on. But it was racing, like, more than usual. So I called my friend and I was like, yo, like, you know, I don't, like, my heart is racing. I don't want to tell my mom because my mom is top one worrier. She's worse than me. <laughs> so, like, she was like, she was like, yo, she was like, you know, I think you should tell your mama, you do y'all shit. And she was like, yeah. I told my mom and you know, she she took it well. Like, you know, we just went to the hospital right after stuff like that. And like when I went to the doctor, like every, like they was they was just saying, like, you know, everything's fine in your body. Like, are you like, you know, like, you know, is everything OK? I'm like, yeah, I'm like, I think everything is OK. Like, I don't understand. Like my heart's racing. They was like, you know, do you have heart palpitation? I'm like, no, like I never dealt with this before. So then they asked me the last question they asked me. They was like, have you ever experienced anxiety before? And I said, no. And then I mentioned I was going I was going back to Buffalo the next day after New Year's. Mm-hmm. And they was like, I think you um, should go see the counselor center on, on your campus. And I was like, I don't even know if they even got those. Right. So right. and then yeah. me and my mom looked it up the next day and she was like, you know, do you want to try it? I'm like, I don't see the reason why I should go. Like, I'm fine. But my heart was just racing. I don't think it's a mental thing. Mm-hmm. So then literally I went, when I came back, I went to Weigel and I went to the doctor and everything and stuff just to check to see, you know, everything's going good over here. And, you know, and they did the test today. He's like, yeah, everything's fine. I'm like, I don't, I don't know what's going on. Like I feel tired. I'm not eating. Like what, like what's going on? And it was like, yeah, just, just go upstairs to the counseling center. And I made an appointment. And when I went, it changed my life. Right. It really changed. It really changed my life, and I was just about to go online too, and everything. Like it, like I think that was just. So I think it was just so much, like just subconscious thinking that I wasn't realizing that I was thinking. Not Imagine true. you never went there, never got the help you needed before you went online. You wouldn't have been in that right space to have gone through what you went through. Right, and that's why I feel like everything happens for a reason. So when I went to counseling, you know, they, you know, they keep everything confidential as they should. And literally, like, I was talking with Dr. Wendell Rivera. Amazing. I'm going to shout him out right now because he is literally amazing. He's probably the only one that's really putting work in there. <laughs> and, and literally, 
I um he he had asked me about something and then hmm. and then um he was like, have you went through any trauma recently? And I was like, I was like, no. They was like, what happened six like what about six months ago? And I was like, well, me and my family had a really really bad fallout and stuff like that. And they was like, so how how are you thinking about it now? Like, what do you how do you think that's affected you from that time to right now? And I was like, you know, it's really been contemplating my mind ever since then. And they was like, okay, and then what else are you about to do? And I told him I was just about to go online for fraternity and stuff like that he was like you got so much going on right now like you just thinking about too much you and and so much stuff is going on in your life where do you see the reason why like your body's reacting to that Mm -hmm. and he said that blew my mind gotcha and that's what really took me and then he was like you know we do have cognitive behavioral therapy sessions every tuesday and it's not mandatory, but he was like, if you really have some trouble thinking about what happens in those worst case scenarios, just go. And I went. And you went and it changed everything. And it changed my life. Like I did not know know what to do next. I literally thought it was it was the it was New Year's Eve. I thought my life was gonna end. Let me ask, I thought I was gonna see I wasn't gonna see the new year. Like it was just it was just so much stuff going on. Let me ask the panel this because there's such a negative connotation when it comes to counseling why do black men let's just talk about black men because we are black men why do black men fear going to counseling i can speak because i'm in therapy now okay Okay. and it took me a long time to accept the fact that i needed to go okay i went and i had one session before this one that i'm in now and i didn't like it because I didn't like how the therapist talked to me. I heard that a lot. Okay. The therapist talked to me though as if I was a child. Okay. And it was right after my daughter was born and I had kind of like a breakdown and it was so much stress and everything that I ended up passed out in my daughter's mother's room. And the next thing I know, I'm waking up and I'm on the way to the hospital and I'm panicking because I'm like what the, what just happened so I went to this therapist and the way he just talked to me I, I shut down and I said I'm never doing it again because I don't ever want to feel like one what I'm going through is wrong and then two just feeling like shit like I felt like shit so it wasn't until our mom told us told me about our cousin's therapist okay and she was like you know i think that because she was saying she's really good all this other stuff you need to go but i kept telling myself no 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 but then i realized it had to take for me to see my daughter go through therapy and that was so you so you're talking about a 12 year right time frame from Mm -hmm. you finally realizing that you needed counseling and it took you 12 years to get there yeah wow and then but seeing her go through it wow and and her courage and her feeling like okay i can do this that then i was like i needed to go and once i went i learned so much when you was talking about trauma i didn't realize that i suffered trauma Mm-hmm. When our father left, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like okay. I didn't realize that that moment, right, shut like it changed everything. Got gotcha. you to the point that 
I didn't know that I was suffering from abandonment. So yeah, so every time somebody left my life, it went back to that to, to that, that night. To that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I had to realize that, and every wow. time something happened, I had to sit back and I was thinking to myself, like I did something wrong. Wow. Most of the time, it's not even you. And that's what my therapist said. My therapist was like, "You did nothing wrong." Wow. So now I had to sit back and I had to realize that. And then I realized that I was I'm an overthinker. Yes. Wow. And I overthink <clears throat> so much. Mm-hmm. So, and overthinking causes that cause your body to react because you're not realizing that you're overthinking because we think every day. So when you're thinking, you think this is normal. Like I'm thinking about, okay, like what I'm about to do today, you know, or, you know, what I have planned, you know, and I'm going through my day, but you're not even realizing that your, your brain is processing so much that it's low key shutting down. And then it's telling your body that like, Oh, I'm not okay up here. So, you know, your body is going to tell you when something ain't right. So when you feeling really, really tired more than usual, you're not eating right. You're not showering to the point where you're not showering to get the energy to get up to go to the shower. That's where it comes to a point where you know something is mentally Yo, wrong. That's, that's real shit right there. Mm-hmm. When you're not showering, you got to shower every day to get a proper you, hygiene. You don't. Wow. It'll show and you it'll smell. Wow. Not, sh- not showering. That means you you're such at a low point that you don't even care for yourself anymore. Right. Wow. You, you're lacking. So it's basically saying, fuck what people say about me. I don't give a fuck if I smell, but you're not really saying that, but you're thinking that subconsciously and you're making it okay. So here's a question. What are some things that affect your mental health? What what would you say are some things that affect your mental health on a daily basis? So I think for me that um, since I'm in school, I'm not going to lie school definitely affects my mental health because I feel like that, um, especially being in grad school, because that's a different type of level being an undergraduate. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that since I'm in graduate school now and I'm about to graduate in May, that it's putting a lot of stress on me. And the fact that I am taking four classes and I have two other jobs Mm -hmm. and an internship, Mm -hmm. I feel like since all that is going on, I feel like that's really affecting my mental health because I'm not taking time to take care of myself. Like it's so like one thing about me, like, you know, I always, you know, make sure that, you know, I'm, you know, well, well put with hygiene and things like that and stuff like that. But it'd be times where I just be tired. Like I really be tired. I'm like, yo, do I really want to get up? It's to the point where I'm getting up at like 930 and I got to be to work at 10. And yeah. I'm tired and I and I'm still and I had and I had eight hours of sleep and I'm still tired. Yeah. Like how does that add up? Like what's like, like how right. is that adding up? And I feel like t- my priorities and, and this is a this is a, a normality already, the fact that you're gonna have priorities, but time management is so, 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 so important. Mm-hmm. You gotta time manage sleep. Mm-hmm. Yo, that's a fact. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta schedule sleep. Like literally, iPhone has that bedtime thing. I just started oh, I utilizing use, it. I, use, I, use I just started now. utilizing it because it be times where like I literally I'll be hanging out with my friends and I'm and I'm I'm looking at my phone and said bedtime and I'm like oh. 
I'm about to get low. Short, y'all. I'm about to get low. <laughs> y'all know exactly what time it is. I'm about to get low. And we be here too. When we be oh, going right out, we really be here. He be like, yo, we out. I'm yo, like, yo, we off this? I'm like, I've been wanting to leave. And 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 that goes to another thing. Like, I think like sometimes I feel like that for me, like I grew up as being a people pleaser. So I feel as though that sometimes that people be draining me. Like people that I'm around and stuff like people drain me to the point where I really have to think about, do I really want to go out with them right now? Like what can possibly happen that's going to blow my to the point where I'm going to want to go back home, you know? So I just feel like one is definitely the, um, the workload that you have on you. I feel like it's very important to really monitor the workload that you have because you don't want to stress out yourself to the point where you're going to work and you're not, you, you're pouring out of an empty cup. You're pouring out of an empty cup to the point where how like even me as being like a future high school counselor, even when the students that I work at. So I work at Stanley G Folk School and those students. Boy, for those of you who don't know, that's that's like that's Buffalo alternative. That's alternative. So so for city references, that's like boys and girls high school. And that's like that's that's (laughs) like um that's like all the other schools that you know with students who like don't Juco. right the yeah. students that don't survive throughout a regular public school they have to go to an alternative school right where they have to get a certain type of structure that they have in schools so when I'm when I'm talking to when I'm talking to my students and stuff like that like I be so tight because I gotta be at 745 mm. and I just I just had class the, the the day before and I got out at 10. So it just comes to a point where I'm just like, you know, I got to make sure I get enough sleep so I'm able to help these students because they have real issues, real mental health disorders, real behavioral issues. When it, it just comes and then their families, like they're not even supporting them. And they come from families where it just it's just so much going on and there's so much issues. So the point when they come to school, they come to school with no coat on in 20 degrees weather. I was walking inside that school and literally like these students had no coat on. Like one of the students had no coat on, no book. But I'm like, I tapped him and said, where's your stuff? He was like, I don't know. And I'm like, nobody got you up to to get you ready for school. He was like, no, I just got up and my mom was at work already. And I'm like, I'm, I, but I was just so confused. Like I, I just didn't know what was going on. And these are black students. How old are they? Black students, 11-year-olds. Come on. Coming to school with no coat on, no hat, no book bag, thinking that they just, but they just coming to school here. and they just, it's just here. He said his mom's dead. His mom's been left. Like his, his mom's, mom's already arre- at work. By the time he getting up, he but he know that bus come at 7.15. He know that he for know sure. He know he got to get up. And he know he got to get up. And here's the gag. The location I work at is Stanley G. Folk School, Rosler, which is in Cheektowaga. These students are coming from Niagara Falls no. on the bus for an hour and some change. And they come to school and they don't even have the motivation to do anything because of the shit that they're going through at, at, at home, the mental state that they're in. And then they come to school having people tell, telling them what to do and eating food that they don't want and being in certain spaces like they don't want to be in, you know, because in those in those classrooms is it's not a typical thirty, you know, thirty classroom with students. It's only six of them. Okay. They're not leaving a classroom at all. They they're com- they're literally in the in the chair for from seven forty five to two o'clock, 
and they're not doing any like they're 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 learning and stuff like that. But it's like, how can you learn when you got so much stuff going on at home? Like your your father's not home, and you know, and it's just so many factors that can happen mm-hmm. where it's affecting their mental state. And they have PTSD, they have ADHD. They're taking medicines before they come to school. They're taking medicines while they're in school. For them to be sane, to prevent those behavioral issues. And that's another thing, too, basically talking about having children taking medicines for their behavior. I remember when I was younger and people thought I needed Ritalin. Because people thought I had ADHD because I just didn't sit down. I'm like, and knowing that's a normal kid thing, right? Like exactly. they you know, they don't have the mentality right now to really function. Like, I right, I need to sit down. You know, in China they cracked the code on that, right? You know what happened? So pre-K, kindergarten, even first graders, right? Even like up to third grade, their school is not indoors; it's outside. Okay. And what happens is, is that um, they understand that kids get up. They can't just sit down. They want to touch things off of impulse. They want to go and play. So a lot of their classroom areas and a lot of the activities are all outdoors. And they allow the kids to just like, if you need to get up, get up. And we do that. At, and we do that at my school too. Like literally, like some some kids, like they just like to fidget with stuff. So what we do is we give them play doh, right? That they can just fidget, and they're still learning, mm-hmm. but they just need something to occupy, like their keep them their there. their movements and stuff like that, because they don't have the mental space. And because you're still developing as you're growing, right? So you don't have the mental space in your mind as a child for you to be like, okay, like I need to focus, you know. But you learn that over time. Mm-hmm. You learn how to. to to process your thoughts and you now know what's right and you now know what's wrong and whatever it is that is appropriate in the setting that you're in. And these students, like, they know, like, and it's, it's a student that, that I have that she doesn't like when people go like that. Like, she goes nuts. And she gets frustrated and she starts on tantrums and all these jazz and everything. So she wears headphones the, the big over one that go over your head, mm-hmm. she wears them around school because she can't function, when if, especially when it's the flu season, people sniffling left and right. She can't function like that. I wonder where that comes from. And that's my question. Something had to happen traumatically in order for her to, like, every time she hears that, it takes her back to a place. And, and, and even for other students, when they hear, like, the alarms, when they have, like, those fire drills, they alarm at least 40% of my students... They go nuts. So why even have a fucking alarm? They go they go nuts because they can't take it. Like literally, we just had a fire a fire a fire drill the other day, and then my counselor she was like she's like all right you know I gotta stop at these 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 classrooms because some of the students in there they really like go crazy when they hear noises and they can't function because something has happened to them in the past or some type of trauma that has affected them in the past that they they go through that. It's only to institutionalize us. It's to condition and institutionalize us. I mean, Jaden Smith said it best and I totally agree that the alarms in the school systems are kind of like mock prisons. But anyway, that's a whole different conversation. Right. So with that being said, you know, there's it's just a lot of mental disorders that people go through. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of behavioral issues that people have. Mm-hmm. And some people think is genetic. 
some people think, you know, it's just the life experience that you have, that you have. And me personally, me, I feel like it's a life experience that, that you go through, you know? So when it comes to, you know, just regular like behavioral issues where you just can't sit down or like you just pick it on somebody, that's just life. That's just life experiences because you may never know. They might be getting abandoned at home. Gotcha. Where they need to feel recognized when they're in other spaces mm-hmm. other than their home, mm-hmm. you know. So it comes to a point where, you know, these students need counseling. And mind you, there 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 is about eighty two percent of African Americans at that location. Mm-hmm. So more than likely, these students they. They come into school. The students are required mandatory individual counseling every week. Every week. And when I was in when I when I was in elementary school, middle school, high school, I had never had to see a counselor. And not because of the way I was keeping myself, but it, it was like even so, like I just never, I just never had to. I don't know what that and that felt like seeing a counselor. That's why I was really dubbing it from the beginning when, when, you know, when I was going through certain things, you know, and then they have mandatory group counseling mm-hmm. every week also because they need to know how to learn effectively and work effectively with other students being around them. Some students like to be the voice of the, of the group. So then the other people who don't have a voice, who don't usually speak, they feel comfortable. So they're like, oh. He's talking. I'm good. There's no learning for me. But no, you need to learn how to speak up in certain situations. You need to learn how to not be so timid and shut down Mm. and knowing that there's a whole bunch of stuff going on in your life. So it's hard as a counselor talking to talking to someone who shuts down and we're trying to get information out of you. And it's not getting information out of you just to force you to open up. But our goal is to guide you and help you through your life experiences that you have gone through because some things permanently affect people. But I feel like you got to be delicate in the way that you get those things done because you got mandated counseling, right? Right. You got to sit down with them and see if that's an experience that they're enjoying because if they're just there because they have to be there and they're not getting what they want to get out of it, when they grow older and those mental health issues really develop, and they really need to go to counseling now, they're going to think back to that time, well, I went there before and I didn't like it. Right. So that's why it's so important to, and this is one of the things that we learn about in class is we talk about the therapeutic relationship. Mm-hmm. That's That counselor to client relationship has to be built first. Has to be. Has to be built first. Has to be. Because how am I going to trust you as a counselor to to know that you're not even going to, that you can even go to tell my business to your friends? That's that's one thing, and that's what a lot of people are are scared of the fact that you know, like, yeah, yeah, like you know, they're they're gonna attempt to help me, but like, I just told them something that I have never told my parents, right? And I was in that predicament, right? And I was nervous too to even say some things, and I was just like, okay, like I have to really evaluate myself real quick and be like, okay, like, does do I trust this person? Mm-hmm. Do I trust this person with my own secrets that I have not told nobody? And that's why creating that relationship is so, so important because once you create that, you can't just go into a, a counseling session like, okay, what's wrong with you? Right. Because they're going to look at you like, damn, I know I got a problem, but like, you know, so it's all about, you know, asking like, you know, how your day was, you know, just having casual conversation. And then when that next session ends and when you come back. As a counselor, you're supposed to retain in your mind, like, what what did you guys speak about? Or if they touch something important where, you know, for example, if you was a child and your, your, um, your family just moved to a different home, 
and your home is already corrupted and things like that. So the next session, I'm going to ask you, I'm like, hey, you know, how are you living in your new home? And I'm like, oh, gosh, like my, my, my new room is great. And, you know, I have my own room now. Oh, you didn't have your own room before? You know, I didn't I didn't know that. Like, why didn't you have your own room? Well, you know, it's it's seven of us living in this house and it's only two rooms. Oh, really? Wow. That that must be that must be really, really tough because there's just so many people in there, you know, and it's just so much things going on. It's like, yeah, like I do feel like that. Right. So when you resonate with them and you you basically display those empathic responses, that will that will enhance the relationship because that's just showing me as a client that you understand the conditions that I'm in that I'm in. Gotcha. So that's why it's so important to to project that relationship on them Mm -hmm. and understanding that, you know, I'm not, I'm here to help you, but I want to know, I want you to understand I'm here to help you. And I want you to understand that, you know, it's life, things are going to happen, but I'm here to guide you through wherever that you're going through. And, you know, I'm here in your corner. You know, if you need some time to vent or anything like that, or if there's something that going on that you don't trust nobody else, but I want you to, Trust me and understand that I I seek your best interests. I want to extend the same question out to everybody else. What are some of the things that affect your mental health on a daily basis? For me, it's just the the day to day, such as the day to day work that I do. Me being in school, mm-hmm. having to go through that. Just me, even the process of going, getting into school. Yeah, that was a hefty process for you. You know, because for me, it was always a thing with failure. Mm -hmm. You know, I wasn't told, but a teacher told, you know, a teacher told our mother that I wasn't going to amount to nothing. And when she said that to me, that resonated and continued to follow me throughout life. Yeah. To the point that I had to, you know, challenge myself and say, okay, this is, I need to overcome this hurdle. I need to prove to myself that I can do this. So it says. How long did I take you? I graduated in 04. I enrolled in the college 17. 13 years because someone told mom. You wouldn't amount to nothing. Like college might not be for you, and might not have a future. And mom tell mom told you this, yeah. And that shit stuck with you. See that mental health shit is for real. Cause it could just be that one thing, little thing in the rest of your life that could affect your rest of your rest of your life. So the power that your mind has all over your life, right? So it's also just that, and then it's raising my daughter. You know, and seeing the the struggles that she's going through, right? And me having to put the cape on mm-hmm. and always be there, and it was dra- and it's draining. You know, not to say that I'm never gonna ever say I'm never gonna be there for my child because I am. Mm-hmm. You know, but that because it feels like at points I'm being both father and mother and that weight of trying to raise a daughter on top of that is that's that's a lot on me then trying to just continue to be or continue to grow in what I want to do 
with like my podcasting. Mm-hmm. You know, I had to take a break from podcasting because I started to fall out of love with it. Mm-hmm. You know, so I had to take that step back. And then just my personal life, mm-hmm. you know, me dealing with certain people mm-hmm. and going through those, you know, things. Cause I'm a hopeless romantic person. So I, you know, when, when I invest into something, I'm investing all. Yes. And then if I'm not getting that same in return. Black men don't cheat. <laughs> and <laughs> when I'm not getting that in return. Turns me off. <laughs> it, it doesn't do that for me, but then I start to overthink. And I start to think that, once again, I start to think that I'm doing something wrong. I'm starting to think that I'm, then insecurity starts to come in. Gotcha. And then all that starts to weigh in. So all that, and then I had to sit back. My therapist had to tell me like, okay, once again, she was like, you're doing nothing wrong. Cause I'll explain to her everything that's going on. She was like, okay, you're doing nothing wrong. And then as far as with the issues with like my daughter and her mom and things like that, they both will come to me with their with the problem and they will expect me to be the one to fix it. And my therapist and one of my professors said, what would they do if you weren't around? That exception question. Hmm. And then you have to present that to them. And then you have to literally break it down to them and be like, okay, you want me to stop doing what I'm doing and literally explain to them to handle a situation that y'all two can sit down and deal with yourself. And they were like, you got to take yourself out of the equation. And let that situation be your motivation. Malik? I'd say, I'm going to just drop two real quick. For me, what taxes my mental health on the daily, I like people. I like working with people. I love motivating people, working with people. And that's why I did everything I did. And when I was in college, I was an RA. I was an orientation leader. I was um, USG. All I wanted to do was help people, and it's, that has never changed. For me, it's seeing those people who either don't want help or they don't accept the help on my timeline, which is wrong on my part. Things like that, seeing students that don't take the opportunities that they have here, those kind of things, they, they bother me. I talk to a lot of people, and they, they try to tell me that I shouldn't worry about those kind of things, but I mean, if I have the opportunity to help you, to put you in a better stand, in a better position, why would I not? take that opportunity? Why would, why would you not take that opportunity? So things like that bother me because there has to be something they're missing. Mm-hmm. If I woke up to somebody, a professor, an instructor, whoever, they don't have to have a couple letters before or after their name, and you're dropping knowledge on me, you're dropping an opportunity on me, why in my right mind would I not want to do it? Or why would I not explore the option or even ask a couple of questions to look into a chance to better myself? So that bothers me, seriously bothers me. Mm-hmm. The other thing is just where I'm going with my life. I'm 22, I talk to a lot of people and they're like, you're young. You're young, you still have time to figure this and that out. I hate that. I hate, hear- I hate, I hate hearing it. Is that supposed to justify me, what, sitting down every day and just going through the motions of life? Because absolutely not. You know what that's called? 
That's called people that have a, that someone's trying to condition you to have a fixed mindset. Mm. That's what that is. Like, oh, you're young, don't worry about it. That's a fixed mindset. You shouldn't even. Mm -mm. There's no way. I'm gonna sit down every day. I'm gonna think about the the goals I have for myself and how am I gonna get there. Some of them, some people tell me I'm over ambitious. There's no way. Because if I sit down here and I put in the work, I'm gonna get everything mm -hmm. that I came here for. I would take that as a compliment, to be honest. Like, all right, I'm I'm doing what I gotta do. It's better than me not doing it. Taking true. life on a daily. What? No, no way. So, I pose that question to you. Me? Yes. Ooh. So, I was thinking about it. Mm -hmm. I was. Um, I would say um, my marriage, my marriage, uh, my kids, um, I don't, I don't, no, I won't say it on a more personal level because that is personal. But, um, I would say my personal health, and I would say also um, the work that I do on campus. Um, and I'll elaborate a little bit more on that in terms of the campus life. So, like, <clears throat> you ever saw the movie The Green Mile? Bits and pieces. All right. You ever mm, seen the movie? I don't think Green so. Mile. Well, there's this guy, right? He's a prisoner. He's a big black man, right? Special guy. He's on death row. But he has these special abilities, okay? He meets one of the CEOs who has this problem, right? Problem is that the CEO can't urinate. He has this horrible urinary, urinary infection, right? Where when he... Like he has to pee very badly and he can't because it hurts. It's in, he's in pain. There is like some sort of infection in his kidney, right? So this big black guy who has this special gift, right, of healing people goes up to him and he touches him. And when he touches him, he takes the sickness out of his body puts it in his own and then he blows it away into the atmosphere All right that's kind of what I do with these students every day okay. these students come to me and they pour themselves into me and I take it all in and when they leave they feel good they feel somewhat better got a load of right but for me, when they leave, it's a strain on me. Mm -hmm. And in order for me to get that out, I have to pray it out. Or I have to, like, I have to release it some way, somehow. So that's like with hundreds of students every day. It could be in passing. It could be in formal meetings, right? It, it doesn't matter. But every day, it wears you down. There's not a day that I leave my job and I'm not mentally exhausted. It's not mm -hmm. a day. Mm -hmm. Because of the fact of how much time people need from me. 
And that's what keeps you going, right? But that's what keeps me going. But it comes with a price. Right. Because as much as you need from me, I need double as much for me to be replenished. Right. Uh-huh. And sometimes not getting that is a mental strain on my part. Mm-hmm. No one sees how tired I am. I'm tired right now. Listen. I am like beyond tired right now. Listen. But what keeps me going, right, is the fact that I know that I'm needed. I ask myself this all the time. Could you imagine being living a life and no one needs you? Not at all. It would be so worthless. Not at I all. Could, that, that thought to me was something I had to personally conquer in terms of my mental health. Because again, when we talked about, you got to give it a name. There's darkness. What do you give it? Right. Right. Mine's was suicide because I hated the idea of not feeling needed by nobody. And as a black man, we want to feel like we are necessary. We want to feel important. We want to feel like we can contribute. We are that man. We that right. motherfucker. That's a fact. But exactly. what happens when that superpower goes away? And now you're not needed. That's your time of reflection. Yeah, that is just like, down. that's when you're like, hold on. Mm-hmm. Wait a minute. You know what I'm saying? I had a rough time adjusting from undergrad. Because in undergrad, you was on top. And being in a fraternity, you know what I'm saying? Having the illest parties and all kind of shit and just being out. You know, that was such a safe haven for me because people needed me. I felt like people needed what I was offering. Graduated. Graduated with no job. Now what? These same people that needed me are no longer here anymore. They graduated. They're gone. They're out and about. They're expecting the best things for Fred. Best things. Oh, man, Fred be, Fred be good. Right? Fred's intelligent. He, he got it. You seen everything he did here? You know? But... Then I started to realize, and it's funny because I just taught this to my students. What keeps people fixed? Because I was mentally, for me, I was in a fixed mindset for so long, right? That I felt comfortable being there. I felt comfortable being praised for being intelligent felt comfortable for being praised for being fearless or being bold or being um, strong, strong black man. But nobody ever praised me for the effort that goes into being intelligent. Right. Or the effort that goes into being strong. Right. Or being prepared or or doing like this podcast. No one really praises me for the work that goes into such a thing because they don't see that right because they don't see that and I tell my students all the time I was like listen that's like saying congratulations you know Chi I know you didn't get that job but hey you still look good what the fuck does that have to I got bills I didn't get the job but you're calling me because I still look good you know, Fatu, you didn't win that fashion show, but you know what? Your hair still looks awesome. 
And right. it's like a good, right. isn't like right. a face, like face, um, like a fake face, like, thanks. Right. And not like rolling your eyes Imagine after. you hearing that all your life. Fred, better yet next time. You know, you're, you're a smart young man. You're smart. You'll get it. No. What about the work that I had to do to try to get to this point? Mm-hmm. They don't get it. They don't but, but, but don't you think that's a part of the process, though? Yes, but when you stay, when someone tries to keep you there. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? That's a problem. That's when you fix. When do you grow? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? How can you grow? Mental health for me, right? To to get to a place that I'm in right now, I had to grow. And I had to surround myself around people that supported growth in me. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Because I'm telling you, this, listen, <clears throat> when it comes to mental health, man, like I wrote down a question that says, when was the first time that you were exposed to mental health? Right? For me, I'll never forget. Remember the movie, uh, where the, the the Fisher movie with Denzel Washington, Antoine Fisher. Yes. You ever seen that movie? Mm-hmm. You ever saw that movie, Antoine Mm-mm. Fisher? No. Antoine Fisher, right? Was Antoine Fisher was a movie about a black Navy man. Who was suffering from PTSD, right? But not in terms of war, but in terms of what has happened to him in his childhood. He was raised in a family as an orphan, right? Where they believed in incest, so they raped him. They were using his body and raping him, and that did something to him when it came to the opposite side of sex. So now he's in the Navy, right? And people are asking him, yo, why don't you holler at this girl, man? Why don't you do this? And then someone says, oh, he's gay. And it turned him off. And next thing you know, he started fucking this guy up. Fucking this dude up. Because dude said he's gay, but he doesn't know that he was personally traumatized when he was a kid and it has everything to do with his anxiety when it comes to women because he can't trust them right so then Denzel Washington who is a therapist who is a counselor right is using different counseling methods and counseling tactics and strategies and he's asking them questions he's doing this and he's patient with them and he develops this rapport right Mm -hmm. and it gets to a point where he's like listen son I think we have got to a point where Because, you know, as a therapist, there has to come to a point where the counseling has to end. Absolutely. Termination stage. Right. And he terminates the stage. But it's got to a point where the relationship, the, the Antoine Fisher is codependent on him. On him. Mm-hmm. It went from a codependent to now he is completely dependent on this guy to move forward. And the therapist told him, like, listen, listen, you have everything that you need to have to work this out and to figure out. You know for a fact that in order for you to move forward, you have to go to the source. You got to confront this demon. So he goes back and he confronts the family 
that did this to him. And when he did that, right, immediately he became strong. The very person that raped him as a kid tried to give him a hug. Hey, baby, where you been? And he's like, hold on. Don't touch me. You don't touch me. Wait. And then right. the mother's like, what's wrong with you? You don't talk to me. And the reason why you don't talk to me because you knew what was going on. And you did nothing to help me. You allowed this to happen. I'm here just to tell you about yourself. That you couldn't destroy me. And that takes so much courage. Right. So, so much. me, my first exposure to that, to mental health, was that movie. And it made me think about me. And the things that I had to deal with as a kid moving forward into the past as a, as a as a as a EOP counselor here today, I had to deal with a lot of shit. I'm saying and a lot of people see they see me as this strong man. Right. And I am. But I had to get there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Work mm-hmm. that. I'm saying yeah. I had to get there and it took years to get there. It took suicide attempts attempts plural to get there right we spoke about how I feel my belief black men want to feel important and what happens when that feeling goes away when you feel like you're not important to nobody your kids nobody period kids you know what I'm saying you just don't feel important right Mm-hmm. And when all that goes away, and all you have is yourself, now you lost in your thoughts, and that's and that's where the trigger comes. Where it comes to, okay, this is too much now. Right, it's too much. I need to escape. I need to run away. Right. So now comes the behaviors. Now comes the abuse, the the drinking, smoking, or the excessive behaviors, the sex, all kinds of stuff that just shifts. Right. And it got to a point where I was in a very very dark place. I'm there for it was like an out of body experience. I was in my mama's basement. Mm-hmm. I was in my mama's basement next to the computer on near the couch. And there was a I had a host of pills. I was drinking already. I was already drunk. It was like two o'clock in the morning. And I'm like, I'm just gonna end it. I was in a failed relationship, felt like I didn't deserve nothing. And it was like an out-of-body experience, and I start popping pills. Popping them one by one. Nothing's happening. And slowly, I start to fall into a sleep. I'm like, this is it. This is it. Right? I, I don't feel like I'm starting to feel numb. I'm like, okay. Here I'll go. And then, literally, something comes out of me, and I f- I'm looking at myself. I'm looking at myself sleeping and something tells me, wake up. And when I woke up, it was my mom coming downstairs and she tapped me and I woke up and I couldn't like, I couldn't, I couldn't move. I couldn't react in a really time. She just saw the pills, right? She saw the liquor bottle, you know, and all she said, she just put a cover over me. She took everything away, right? She never brought it up again. Mm. She never brought it up again. She never talked to me about it, nothing like that, right? I respect that. And, 
And even now, I'll be like, Mom, you remember? Nope. Because that wasn't you. Mm-mm. You know? So, like, for me, suicide, and that was just, that was just one incident. I'm saying there was another one where I was in a car drunk and I was about to just run off a cliff. Just drive off a cliff. I was down at the marina near the ships. Mm, Yeah. And I'm just sitting there and I'm just because I don't like I lost my job. Mm -hmm. I lost everything that I thought that I liked and loved. You know, I had a failed relationship by myself. No one to talk to. I'm saying and I see the ships. I'm like, and I see the water. I'm like, man, I look peaceful. And then your mind starts talking. It starts talking to you. And I remember the car was moving. Literally, the car was moving. But it wasn't moving in the direction I was parked. It was moving towards the railing. And I I stopped. And that's when I knew I really don't want to kill myself. I really don't want to. I want comfort. I don't want to kill myself. Because if I did, why would I stop? Why would I stop? You know what I'm saying? So then I started talking to people. Like I knew right then and there, I was like, I need to talk to somebody. I need to talk to someone. My wife introduced me to our archbishop. I started talking to him. I'm saying I started talking to my mother again, started talking to Charles a little bit. You know what I'm saying? I just somebody Mm -hmm. to listen to me. Right. Just to be heard. Just to listen. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Was enough for me to start getting over things. And then I started feeling like people are listening to me. So now people need me a little bit, you know, and then eventually fast forward to the present. Now I'm at this point where I don't really feel like I, I, I want or that I stress the importance of feeling needed. Now it's about what I can give. Because you move from a place of selfishness to now you being selfless. Because it's about what you can give to people. Right. You know what I'm saying? And you realize what's more important. And you realize what's more important in your life. And now that you know your purpose, Mm -hmm. and I feel like that's very, very important, just knowing like your purpose in life. That's the game changer from you wanting to commit suicide, then you wanted to move on. Right. Like, I mean, and I never told that story to nobody till now. I'm saying, but, you know, for those of you who are thinking of, you know, suicide and stuff, all you need is just talk to people. It's easier said than done. Yeah. But. Talking to someone sometimes is a gateway for you to just release that energy. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm sorry for going so deep, y'all. No, no, no. Honestly, you come here to do. You talk your shit. Yeah. Yeah. There's people out here who need that, to that need saying. to hear that because they might be going through the same thing yeah. that you have gone through. Yeah. And they needed someone to. F- to fill that need where sure. they need that to sure. relate with and see that somebody else is making it through it. So you, yeah. you, because yeah, some absolutely. people feel by themselves. They feel like they're yeah. the <clears throat> they're the only person that's going through whatever that they, that they're going through. Mm-hmm. In the whole world, you believe that? So somebody here on this podcast is gonna be like, "Yo, I'm not the only one," and there's yeah. a solution. There's an answer, yeah. and I am gonna make a change, and I am gonna show that 
I have a purpose right. in my life. Right. Like literally have that purpose and understanding that, you know, like there is going to be times where I'm going to feel low, but mm -hmm. to be able to bounce back mm -hmm. and have that resilience to do whatever that I have to do. Yeah. That's, that's, that's when you realize where it's this, this is, this is why I'm here. And my sorority sister, she had, she had posted something on Facebook, blew my mind. And it said the pressure of the process is the purpose of the promise. Yeah. That yeah. I I need to you need to text me that. Oh no, that yeah. Text. Like literally when I seen yeah. that, I was like, wow. I was like, I was like, you know what? I've been through so much and it was so many times where I wanted to quit. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure everyone in this room has felt especially like that college, before. Especially and as college, yeah, because like and even even when you're pursuing a career, a career in, in college when you're learning these things and it's not clicking in your mind you're like am I really for this yeah man. and still and still in graduate school still in graduate school and all of my cohorts in my program they felt the same way they they was like no like am I am I really like for this like I'm not I'm I'm retaining it but am I really understanding it mm -hmm. and that's where I questioned myself where I'm like I was literally I was literally in a classroom and it was my counseling theory class. And literally this way it comes to the point where I make sure that like I plan myself accordingly because the situation is like this. So we in class and I'm we're, we're learning about something. And then it was like a, um, it was like a, a group thing that like the professor put each student in a group and you had to, it's something from the reading that you had to, you know, speak about when we was in class. And so he's like, all right, you know, we're going to refer to the groups where, you know, you had to um, read something and then now we're going to talk about it in class. I'm like, wait, Mike, what assignment? I'm like, what group? So I, I, I'm scrolling on my phone, scrolling on Desire to Learn because that's what they have in Kanisha. So I'm scrolling, I'm like, I'm like, what assignment, what assignment? And literally, like, I'm, I'm in class. I'm like, I don't know what to do because all these other students are prepared mm -hmm. and I'm not. So I'm having a silent panic attack a silent panic attack where I'm just like I don't know what to do I'm thinking like I'm not about to embarrass myself in front of everybody because you're in graduate school and there's a type of level of expectation that these professors and other students are looking at you like this is not undergrad where you just skate by this is graduate school where you put it in or this is not for you so and I didn't want to look like that right. and especially since it's only three black people in my program including me so I'm just sitting there and I, I couldn't do anything else and I just walked out the class. I walked out. You yeah, you spoke about this before. I I, I, I walked it. out because I was so nervous, like my mind was so sporadic yeah. where I didn't even know what to do. And I, my heart was racing. It was just so much stuff that was going on at that moment in my mind. Not even in that place. So imagine you being in a classroom where it's super quiet. My mind is just acting like it's a whole concert going on. Yeah, yeah. And I left. And I was in my class. I'm like, yo, I'm like, yo, Naj, you better than this. You're better than this. Like, what's going on? And I really had to really just like, I, I was I was tearing because I, I was like, no, like, you know, I know this is for me. I said, I should not be, I should not be slacking, you know? And I really had to think like, am I really prepared for graduate school? Because I should not be doing this. Right. I was like, I should not, I should be on top of it. Right. But and then I walked back into class and then the professor was like, All right, you know, we're just gonna take a five minute break and I said, I have to go home. And then you know what he told me? He said, 
do what you have to do to get your, your mind right. See, and that's the thing. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to speak to the students here as undergrads. They don't have faculty members that identify and give you the option of taking mental health seriously. Like, for example, I have a student currently right now that is going through something, a personal trauma at home. Right. She came into class and right after, like, I noticed something was off. Noticed immediately something's going on because she's not participating. She's not partaking. She's not saying anything. She's just sitting there with a blank stare. Looked like she about to break down. So afterwards, I said, you know, I told the student, I said, don't go nowhere. I was like, because she's trying to sneak out. I was like, no, don't go. Come here. So one thing that us as professionals, faculty members, staff, all the, you got to notice people. Right. You got to pay attention. Right. Because when you pay attention and you call them out, they know that you're noticing them. Right. You know what I'm saying? So there's a level of care. So I'm like, listen, I noticed that something's up with you. What's going on? How can I help? Like, how can I help you? And like you said, that right there broke the barrier and she started pouring into me, right? And she's pouring into, like, she's telling me all these things that's going on. And I'm like, you know what, listen, like, we got a pop quiz coming up. I was like, you know what? Just just take the day. Take the day. We'll figure everything else out. Don't worry about it. Right. And I will respect that. Right. Don't worry about it. We'll figure it out. Don't worry. Had another student, another guy, going through a personal trauma with his father. You know what I'm saying? You could tell there was a lapse in work. You know what I'm saying? There was work missing, and like he wasn't coming to class. And I'm just like, okay, something's going on. Then finally he shows up, and, I, and he comes right up to me, and he apologizes. And I said, I don't even want to know. There's something going on. I said, are you okay? Are you hurt? He's like, and he's shocked. He's like, you kid? What you mean? I was like, are you okay? Are you hurt? What can I do to help you? And he was like, Yo, I didn't really think you would ask that. I was like, well, why? He's like, because no, no other professor does. And I was like, well, please me to be the first. Right. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Please me to be the first. And it's just those things, you know what I'm saying, that can just give relief because like you said the brain is constantly working it's just you worrying about all kinds of stuff and all kinds of shit you know and sometimes you just need relief just a moment just a moment just a moment these kids out here one thing I'm learning especially this year these kids out here are going through more personal traumas you know I'm saying and then and then in the midst of going through these personal traumas have to still get this shit done Coming in Freshman year I was an RA Porter I'm sitting desk And they're coming to me With stories I don't know what it is about me But people come They sit down to me Know me or not And they tell me Everything And I love it I love it Because I want to help Where I can And where I can't I'm going to point you In the right Mm -hmm. direction I love it They're coming in Freshmen With these problems These traumas And they still got Three years ahead of them Man, you know, like, I mean, listen, man, countless, countless conversations, right? Countless conversations where sometimes people just, sometimes they don't even need to say anything. They just need to sit near you. Mm-hmm. That, 
that goes to a situation that I experienced mm-hmm. personally. Okay. And I was at work. This is, I was some years back and I had an experience like that. And I remember it to this day because for me, it was more of a spiritual war that mm-hmm. I was going through and in, like inside. Mm-hmm. And it was cause I was in a relationship. It was on the rocks. A whole bunch of stuff was going on within like 24 hours. I remember I was in the warehouse and I was like standing in the middle of the, and I was watching my co my, my workers because I was the manager, so I was watching them work. And then one of the other managers came up and was talking to me. Mm-hmm. But I literally, like, I didn't hear nothing. It's like I got tunnel vision. And one of my close friends who, to this day, I say this to him, I said, that day cemented our brotherhood. Because mm-hmm. it was the three, it was him, the other manager and myself. And the manager was like, I feel heat coming from him. Like something's wrong because there's heat. Like he's hot. And I walked away. I walked out the warehouse and I'm started to get him. I started to break down. So I'm standing at this computer and the door for the security opens up. If I could paint you the picture of the devil I seen it mm-hmm. and it was looking at me and it was he said I got you like, I, I, like I'm here and I freaked out because I, I, this is like new I've never been through this mm-hmm. and I ran out ran out the building and I went into a corner and I started breaking out crying I felt my friend's presence come and he just sat right there mm-hmm. and he didn't say nothing and he just stood there right and i needed that yeah, yeah. because there was no one else around yeah like i didn't have you yeah mom wasn't there nobody else was there right so he showed up sat right there gotcha. and i told him from that moment on like you're my brother for life Yo, you know what's crazy about that? It's like I use this illustration all the time when I talk about like when people are going through a sense of abandonment or they're going through all these trials and tribulations, right? There's friends, but then there's these real friends, right? So like the friends, so like the friends, right, will see you in a hole. They'll see you in a hole and they'll tell you kind words you're gonna make it out yo when you get out I got you yo you feel me yo when you get out and you make it through man yo we we on we popping right but you still in this deep hole by yourself mm-hmm. but then there's those real friends need some help no they no, don't they even go do that in. they go, they go in. in the hole and they sit with you and they say, I'll wait. Whenever you're ready to go, we go, but we're going to go together. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying, that's what happened with you. And I'm saying, someone crawled into that hole with you. They didn't just extend the hand. They got 
in there with you and was like, you know what? You in the fire, I am too. And I remember, <clears throat> I remember I got in the hole with you. Yep. I remember mm-hmm. that day. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that right there. And you know what's crazy? My mental health was so fucked up, it's all a blur. It was. That's crazy. Because I remember exactly, and I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go into the details, but I remember I was told something, mm-hmm. and I told I told Germany I said, Germany's leave us, my sister. Mm-hmm. I said leave us, and she got out the car, and we just sat in the car. Mm-hmm. Like I don't even like I'm I just remember sitting in the car, like. Mental, like how mentally fucked can you be where like you're not really even there you're not even there like you're there but you're not there right mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And mm-hmm. that happens to us often. How many students you know on college campuses that are here but not really here? Right. And you know what's so funny? So I'm in this group counseling class, and the first thing when she, um, when we all come into class, and she asks us this first question every single week, and she was like, are you getting here? Are you here? Or you're not here at all? And everyone around will have a different response. Oh, I'm here. Oh, I'm here. And then, like, me, like, you know, I'm coming right out of work, going to that class. So, I'm like, I'm getting here. But, like, I'm here, but I'm getting here. Like, I'm not. I'm catching up. My I'm like, I'm, up. yeah, my mind's catching up. So, I'm physically here, but I'm not mentally here, you know. So, I feel like that's just that's just so important to, to realize where when you're in a space understanding that, you know, are you mentally here? Like, you could be physically here. Like, I could see you here, but your mind could be down the street. Mm-hmm. So right. understanding that Do you know how many you know, Just you know focusing on that Often that happens with me I could be somewhere And my mind is Everywhere else Everywhere else right There But here Right There's only one place Well Two places Where my mind is always Centered and focused It's at work And it's at home It's at work And it's at home Here My mind is here Cause to me This is well, I don't want to say this is work, but this is a passion. Mm-hmm. And you know what's so funny for me? Like, you can say that for you. My mind is not here right now. It's not. Because mm-hmm. I'm thinking about other stuff that I got to do. Right. And I'm silently contemplating on it. Like, I'm silently stressing about it. Yeah. And that's what a lot of people don't realize. Mm-hmm. And they're not admitting them to themselves. Like, okay, like, I'm here, but my mind is not here. You know, and... Gaining that feeling, understanding like this is a real feeling. Like I'm, I'm not mentally here. Mm-hmm. And if that happens, like often, yeah. maybe you know, maybe just talk to somebody just to just to air some thoughts out. Got you. Because one of those thoughts is gonna be a key thing. Like oh, like tell me more about that. Yeah. You know, tell me more about that when you're at home, your mind is not there. Mm-hmm. And maybe there's some things. That go on at home, right? That they might they know that it's a they know that's happening, but it's affecting them when they're somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And that has happened to me a lot of times too. Where like I could be saying, I'm like, yeah, I'm here, but I'm not mentally here. I'm just I'm just thinking about 
the argument me and my mom just had and it's how it's affecting me right now and knowing that the relationship that me and my mother have you know I'm not expecting for us to go low like that because me and my mom we didn't speak for a whole summer right for a whole summer we was leaving we was living in the same house and a situation happened where she just could not take it like you know and it wasn't a behavioral thing on my part it was just she had found out something that you know really triggered her mm-hmm. And we had our fallout and we would leave notes in the house because we wouldn't speak to each other because of what I allegedly did to her and what she allegedly did to me. Gotcha. So it came to a point where I was going to work and I'm fine. Like, you know, I'm walking around, but I'm still thinking about this situation and, and it's going throughout my whole mind. And that was the start of the reason why I went to counseling. That was the start because of that situation that happened that my family turned their whole back on me. Mm. Turned their whole back. The old, the people that I always lean on first. The people that I lean on first turned their back on me and I had nobody to run to. I could run to my friends and, that, and that's okay, but you're not blood. You don't understand what's going on in my gotcha. family. Yeah. And that's what it, then that's what it, and if you're a counselor or if you're, since you say you're an EOP counselor, that's what your students going to come to you and they're going to have that mindset already. Right. Because they know that you can be an outlet, but are you going to be the outcome? Well, damn. I wasn't ready for that one. They know that. Yeah. They, they, they know that, they know that you're a designated person to do that, but are you going to fulfill the task of helping me getting out of this space? And that's the question that's always posed on counselors, therapists, social workers and stuff like, you know, and you don't know what people have gone through. Like when I was taking social, when, when I took a social work class here at Buffalo state, I, I had to, I had to do community service hours at a, at a, at a company where they was providing housing for, for homeless people. Mm. And we would travel with them. We would have the own, we were in the van. Social work is your undergrad degree? No, mm, not, it was journalism. Okay. But I took it for an elective. Got you. And I went to that class. I'm like, I don't even know what the hell this class is about. But but when she said we had to do mandatory community service hours, I was like, okay, I got to do this past class. So when I did it, and we were we were um we were in a van and we was taking this family grocery shopping because they don't have no vehicle and the company provides them money to to you know to get back on their feet. So that's what the initiative was for for them to get back on their feet. Gotcha. And then literally like we visited this one we visited this one this one lady where. I, it's crazy just talking about this because I think I told you this Malik already that she had a family. She was from her family's from Africa. Okay, and she had two children. They took a boat from Africa to Mexico, and his and and the and the husband oh, left the right and the husband left the family and took the kids with him. And just dispersed somewhere in Mexico. Mind you, she was pregnant. On top of that, to gain some type of freedom, some type of citizenship, or anything like that, she walked from Mexico to Atlanta, Georgia. Get the fuck out of here. Mexico. Mexico to Atlanta, Georgia, Pregnant while being per- 
pregnant. Wow. See? And was able to catch a bus and come here to Buffalo. Remember and this is where this and this is where she stationed that. And she's so mute. Like not like physically mute, but like she don't even like having conversations with people because of the trauma that she's been through. So maybe we walk to go and see her. She's like, mm, hey, yeah, I need that. Mm. That's that's all she's saying. That she's like, mm, yeah, it's it's over there. Okay, I'll come. Like it's no conversation like at all, wow. and it it just busts my head. Like I'm just like, how do you even how, counsel that? Right. How I I I'm a male. I don't. I'm I'm not able to get pregnant, and I'm a, I'm not from a different country. My parents are from a different country, but I'm I'm from here. Right. So I don't know. I never I never took a boat to one place or another except being on a cruise. But other than that, like you know, I never been in that predicament and being able to walk from a different country to a different state in the United States and. Still being able to stand yeah, on I your two feet. I think the most feet. I've ever walked was out. I walked out of Washington D.C. Okay. Okay. So I walked from like a ghetto in Washington D.C. out to like the borderline of like Virginia. Yeah, which is right there. Right. Which is right there. Which is right there. But that's still a walk. But it's still a walk, though. Nothing. It's nothing compared to Mexico. To Mexico. Atlanta, Georgia. I'm no professional, but me, if I see a case like that, first off, I know there's just certain things I just can't relate to because, first of all, I'm not a woman. I've never made that journey. I've never nothing like that. Me, I'm gonna look at that person as. You have all the strength you need to overcome what you're going through because look at where, what you've been through. Right. You're dedicated. You ask right. me really, how do you make it through that? Where do you develop that mental, that strength to get through? She already has that. There's some right. people that just have it. And they, exactly. There's some people that just have it, which is kind of crazy to me. But at the same token, just understanding what they have been through, I'm like, what am I bitching about? Yeah. Like, what do I complain on my daily? Like, I'm saying here, tired. No. I, clearly, she was tired walking from Atlanta. I'm walking Every time from you Mexico. Think you're tired, you think of her, you right? Ex- no, literally. I re- honestly, when I really come to a space where I'm low, I think about all the experiences that I seen other people in, mm-hmm. and I'm like, nah, they've been through worse. And I was just talking to my f- my friend on the phone. He going through a, a whole family issue and stuff like that. I'm like, damn, I thought I, my family was bad, but just on this hearing what he's going going through, I'm just like, I. Cannot complain. I can't complain, wow. and that's what that's what I'm being grateful for 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 God not putting me in those situations and giving me the mobility of my lens, mobility of my mind to really think about what is predestined for me, what is my purpose, the process in my that I'm in, and I know that the promise that is laid for me in my life. Because I still, even to this day, about to graduate with a whole master's in the school counselor program and still contemplating about my career path. Still contemplating about it. And then all the counselors that and all the professors that, that's, that I spoke with, they're like, it's okay. It's a part of the process. You're not going to get everything right now. This is just for the foundation that we're laying for you. And it's your job to build it up. Folks, listen, we are. Thanksgiving's coming up. Yes, it is. Thanksgiving's coming up, y'all. I want to end the show on a different note. 
right, because we talked about mental health. We talked about some trauma, some personal experiences, right? Um, didn't really talk about any victories or anything that we are grateful for. Right. Things that keep our mental state, our mental stability strong, nurtured, right? So to end the show, what I would like is for us to go around and just tell the audience what we're thankful for. Okay. In the spirit of Thanksgiving, right? So who wants to go first? Let's start. Um, so I'm... I'm thankful for life. I'm thankful for just having clothes on my back and just a bed to lay in and just like having just things that I'm able to use that other people cannot. Mm-hmm. Like having a job, having a car, like all those things like I'm grateful for because I know how it feels to not have it. And now that I have it, like I can see how much is it a convenience for me and how that it could be easily taken away. Right. So I'm just thankful for that. I'm thankful for um, my mom. Like my mom is like my numero uno supporter. And I'm super thankful for her because I feel like sometimes that I don't thank her enough because she's a mom. So like, of course, that's what she's supposed to do. But I've seen a lot of mom neglect their children. Mm. So I'm thankful for my mother because she broke her back, bent her back, went everywhere and stuff to make sure that I have. Like my mom, she had, there was this one time when the Bread Elevens was coming out and she, um, and, I t- and I told her like, mom, it's sold out everywhere, these long lines, I'm like, I'm not, I'm not trying to do that. She was like, she's like, no, like, you know, you should really go. I'm like, no, I'm not, I don't, I don't want it. And then, and then the next day, I woke up. I'm like, yo, where's my mother at? Like, she's she usually home on Saturday mornings. That that afternoon, my mom came in, and she gave me a bag, mm. and it was a bread elevens. And I'm like, where'd you get this from? Mm-hmm. She was like, I woke up five in the morning to wait on the line for you. Oh wow, mama. Wow. Damn, I like that, Mama Dukes. Wow. I, I was speechless. That's a, that's a G. You know what that is? Five in the morning? Wake up at five in the morning for some sneakers? You know how vicious those lines are? I was speechless. This was in high school. It's Christmas. I, I was speechless. Wow. And I can't, you still I can't them? think. No, I don't have them. But... <laughs> <laughs> long story for that. Real long story. Real long story. Like legit he said it very long short. story. No, I don't have it. But but it's a thought. It's more than a thought. Like I can't describe what that is. Like a motherly's love effort to provide for their children. It's just is I, I just can't think of anything to describe it. It's indescribable. So I'm I think I'm thankful for her. Yeah. And, you know, just being appreciative of the fact that, you know, I have still have my mom in my life because a lot of people, some people don't. Right. So I'm grateful for her. Cool. Next. That's you. I've been talking a lot. Um, well, I'm thankful for my health. Thankful for my family. Um, thankful for 
God having mercy on me. Mm. I need to test of that too. That too. Because <laughs> mm. um, I'll be in some shit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thankful for God blessing me with an anointing that I'm realizing that I have on my life. That too. Um, and I'm, more importantly, like I said, my family, my daughter, my mother, and you. Oh, come on, man. I'm serious. Like, you are the pinnacle of where I want to be. So... So that's, you know, that's what I'm thankful for. I'm thankful for the ability that I'm, you know, going to be walking the stage in May. Yeah, I'll be right there. I'll see <laughs> you, brother, man. I'll be right there. Because I will be. I'll be doing you know, the same thing. So that's what's up, man. I want to say I'm grateful, extremely grateful for my family, first and foremost. I'm grateful for those people who sat down with me in those dark moments mm -hmm. and didn't move. Mm. I'm thankful for the little things, having a car, just having some slippers to walk around in the house in. Um, I'm a byproduct of second chances, numerous second chances, because I make mistakes all the time. And if it wasn't for those people who really looked at me while other people would have thrown me to the side and just looked at me like another person right. and really cared to give me another shot there's those individuals that just time and time again right I know you got this I know you got this I don't know what's going on with you but I'm not gonna quit on you those people really like who I am today is a far cry from who I used to be and I just really gotta give God thanks for that because things really could have been so different if it wasn't for those people I met in my life and I'm extremely grateful for that Amen. Amen. Yeah. Last but not least. Man. Man, so many things I'm grateful for. So many. I'm grateful for this movement for the full of love of, man. I'm grateful for it. You know what I'm saying? I'm grateful for the vision, the shared vision, you know what I'm saying, of my sister, Tamara. You know what I'm saying? Then here we are, we link up with Nikita. And then like next to you know, we linking up with Nas and Charles and Fatu. You know what I'm saying? And you know pronounce your name again, brother. Salifu, right? Yeah. Salifu, you know what I'm saying? Grateful for him. You know what I'm saying? I'm grateful for the new people, Danielle, you know, and Jade, you know what I'm saying? And, you know, the, even the future prospects that might be coming on to the team, you know, I'm grateful for you because this started off as an idea, you know what I mean? And now there's tangible evidences of this idea, I would have never known that I would have been in front of a microphone. You know what I mean? And I did. And, and never known that I would have been in front of a microphone. Well, not a mic, but. And, and talking to people the way I feel, I could connect with folks. And I feel like it's only one way up. Like, this is only a starting point. You know what I'm saying? And to tell you the truth, I don't care about followers. You know what I'm saying? I don't care about the likes. 
know what I'm saying? That's not my job to do. I don't, you know, my thing is to touch people. C.T. Fletcher said it best. He was like, listen, he's like, the main course in life was how am I willing to touch people? That's the recipe that I follow. You know what I'm saying? And this is coming from a guy that died three times. He died three times. And it finally got to a point like, yo, how can I change somebody's life? And that is what I intend to do. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I don't care what race, creed, religion, whatever you are. I don't care. But when you meet me, I have an opportunity to help you. I have an opportunity to meet you, to greet you, to love you for the human that you are, period. You know what I'm saying? That's what matters to me. So I'm grateful for the for the love of because it's given me a platform to do it. I'm grateful for my job. I'm grateful for my students. You know what I'm saying? My students is what shoots the youth in me. You know what I'm saying? It makes me want to wear the cool sneakers and all that shit because, you know what I'm saying? Like, it just gives me that youth, man. It makes me next to you. You know what I'm saying? It makes me connect with you, you know? A lot of people ask me all the time, yo, Fred, you never wearing suits. I do wear suits, but I don't wear them work because this ain't work. I like that. Mm. I like that. Again, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because, <laughs> you know Fred you never wear any suits to work no I, I mean I do wear suits but I don't wear them to work because this ain't work passion I love this I'm saying this right here to me I mean is my hospital and I'm the doctor helping people say that again say that again I'm saying I never seen a doctor wear suits he wears his uniform this is mine every day Every day, and it works. It's strategic. It works every day, Absolutely. every day. So I don't care who criticizes me, or who says, "Oh, Fred, you know he's this whatever." You don't get students in your room. You don't get students to confide in you. Or just stopping to check in. Right, but I do. Tamara does. Mm-hmm. Know what I'm saying we get them. We nurture them, and there's a host of other people that do the same thing. That share the same principles. I'm thankful and I'm grateful for my family, for my wife. I'm grateful for the lives that she allowed for me to put in her, for her to put into this universe. I have three beautiful babies. Three beautiful babies. Nakai, Carter, Princeton. The loves of my life, the joy, the, out, the, the, the beat of my heart. You know what I'm saying? I'm grateful for them. I'm grateful for my wife because it started with her. I'm saying I'm grateful for my God I'm grateful for my God that gave me this heavy cross to bear Jay-Z said it best the cross that I bear is heavy try to budge me Mm -hmm. but the cross that I carry is heavy try to budge me I'm saying this cross that I bear is only meant for me Mm -hmm. it's only meant for me and it's a heavy one and I know this I have dreams of it I have dreams of it every day and you know what's funny? I'm a I'm a share I'm gonna share this with you. I had a vision, I had a dream one morning. I was I was underneath the bridge. I was underneath the bridge and I got into an elevator. And the elevator was lifting me up to a bridge, lifting me up to the top part of the bridge. And when I got to the top part of the bridge, there was a mass amount of people that was waiting for me.
massive amount of people waiting for me and then I woke up, right? And this bridge connected me from Niagara Falls to Buffalo, right? And so next thing you know, that same weekend, I go to Niagara Falls for a conference. I go to Niagara Falls for a conference and several people come up to me talking about something. Uncle Fred, favorite campus uncle. And that's when I knew, I was like, you know what? I must be doing something right. This, something's happening. It's the universe. Something, something's happening here, right? Because there, there is a following that's, that's, that's generating here, right? That wants to listen to us and what we got to say. You know what I'm saying? I'm thankful for my, I'm grateful for my life. I could have died twice. <laughs> Me too. I could have died twice to suicide. I could have died twice due to health concerns. Twice. Four times escaped death. Death is trying to get me. So I'm only operating on borrowed time. So I only got a short period of time to be here to do this. And while I'm doing it, I'm living my life the way I want to. And you know your purpose. Right. So at the end of the day, I'm grateful for all of you. I'm grateful for the love of. I'm gonna be here as for as long as I can, for as long as God permits me to be. And every moment that I have will be the best moment that I have. Dang. Right? Happy Thanksgiving, y'all. It's your favorite campus uncle. We out.